Hello, and welcome to A Glimpse of Hell, a laid-back podcast discussing the scum of humanity that you love to hate. You can hear all our content on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify, and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for juicy comments and gossip. Please give us a nice review. Should you not, your safety cannot be guaranteed. Hello, everybody, and welcome to A Glimpse of Hell. It's been a little while since we've recorded, as my co-host Matt has been going through some life changes. I just wanted to say congratulations to you and your beautiful wife, Meg, for little Harrison Patrick, who was born three weeks ago. Oh, thanks so much. Yeah, we're really happy. He's such a beautiful boy, uh, uh, a bit uh, a bit big for his age. Um, uh, <laughs> He's so cute. <laughs> so, yeah, like, um, we're... Really happy, and uh, Meg's been uh, so so great with him. Um, a life of um, nurse and paramedic work has uh, made her, I think, quite well prepared for this uh, vocation. Yeah, and he, Harrison's a great, beautiful little baby, and um, we, he, we, I'm actually recording at Matt's place today. So we've got two little dush hounds here. We've got little Harry. And there's Although a he's cat. taking a nap upstairs, uh, Harry's taking a nap upstairs. He was fussing a bit before, but he's sort of, um, but his mum's back now, so she's um, she's um, got him upstairs, and um, we've got a cat in the bedroom as well. So you know, we're fully stacked here. Yeah, so well, um, I actually am uh, thinking of what it will be like in future when perhaps uh, we're doing an episode of this podcast and we're dis- <laughs> discussing some uh, uh, violent occurrence, uh, being, being a true kind podcast, and then I suddenly have to go, shh, shh, there, there, Harrison, there, there. <laughs> well, he, he got, he went to jail in the end. Oh, that's good. <laughs> Um, so welcome back to A Glimpse of Hell. It has been a little while since we've recorded just due to many life changes and, you know, things with myself as well, because I always seem to have tech issues if we want to do it remotely. So it's been a lovely day to drive to another part of Melbourne that I'm not that familiar with. This time I did use my sat nav or my navigation system on my phone, so I didn't get lost, which was actually good. But I'll see if I can navigate back um, on my own wits. So we are discussing a very... You know, a very sad case, but a very historically important case, at least for the civil rights movement in the US. We are discussing today the historical case of young Master Emmett Till. Yeah, well, it's a crime that you. Well, let's not be let's not be um, uh, naive about it. Uh, it is a crime that could happen today in the right circumstances, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. But it was more, very particular to the time. Like, it's not mm-hmm. surprising that it happened when it did. Right. So just for the audience, if you're not familiar with the case of Emmett Till, we'll discuss the main areas of the crime and what happened. And then as we like to do here on A Glimpse of Hell, we're interested in how it perhaps has affected life now. And as horrible and as despicable as this crime was against this young man, it did set in motion some things of positive change, even though there were a lot of sad things that happened along the way. So let's just discuss um, um, Emmett Till, who was born on July 25th, 1941. Um, Obviously, he was only 14 when he passed away. He he was murdered, uh, August 28th, 1955. And he was an African-American boy who was abducted and he was tortured uh, before he was murdered in Mississippi in 1955. We also have to remember that um, Mississippi was one of the 
the main areas in the US that did really police the Jim Crow laws of segregation. And this happened to this young man. He was actually originally from Chicago, uh, where he lived with his mother. His father actually had been drafted into the army and was actually um, prosecuted for murder himself. So there were sad situations in the family with Emmett's father as well. I didn't know that about his father. I mostly focused on um, Emmett's own story. Yeah, Emmett's father was in the army in Italy and um, he was actually accused of murder there, so... Yeah, well, um, we'll uh, get into talking later about um, uh, the people who perpetrated the crime against um, Emmett and uh, what they claimed entitled they were entitled to after their military service. And, um, yeah, I think the contrast of stories will be a bit different. Definitely. So the reason why this poor boy was murdered was he was accused of offending a white woman in her family's grocery store. So Emmett was visiting with his great uncle, um, had come down from Chicago. He was curious to see what life was like in Mississippi after a family visit coming up to his side of the family and um, this extended family member telling him about what life was like in Mississippi. So he wanted to go down there during the summer and check it out for himself. And obviously, while of course there was racism in the North of America as well, it wasn't the way it was in the South. They were afforded you know, more rights. They were more integrated into society in Chicago. In fact, a lot of the black population had, after the Civil War, had moved North because obviously it was the whole North, North and South thing with the civil rights and with the um, civil war. Although uh, about 20 years after Emmett's time, there was actually a reverse migration from Chicago, which we might, uh, of the black population, we might get to talking about that mm. um, later. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. So um, what happened in this case essentially was that the two killers, so the woman that Emmett had apparently offended, uh, they sought him out at the um, relative's property. They kidnapped him. They tortured him for several hours. And then he was murdered and dumped in a river. And the two men got off. And that set... It wasn't bad enough what happened to Emmett, but it was the whole chain of events around who said what, who did what. And I don't think anyone's ever been able to get a straight story, but it drew attention to the prosecution and the persecution of the African-American population in the US. And this young man... posthumously, so I hate saying that word, became a hero of the civil rights movement. And he should be remembered for that because his death did set off a chain reaction of other things, and including Medgar Evers and Martin Luther King Jr. as well. Yes, well, um, um, unfortunately, I, I don't think um, he'd have um, even been thinking about the future in that time. He'd have been going through sheer horror in the last um, mm-hmm. uh a few hours, but yeah, at least um, the occasional um, waste of life can mean something afterwards. Um, it, it can do. And um, so let's just briefly go through Emmett's life leading up to this event and then the, the event itself, some of the aftermath of it, and then what this wonderful boy's legacy was. He was such a dapper, handsome young man. Apparently he was a very, as they say, natty dresser. And he was a bit of a, what we would say here in Australia, a bit of a stirrer. It seemed like he had a really outgoing personality and that's obviously what's gotten him into trouble. He didn't know his place. As anybody who um, analyses his crimes afterwards, it should be made clear that he was only 14 when he died Mm -hmm. and at what he was accused of at best, 
at worst was um, a uh, asking a store clerk, um, how about how about a date? Um, yeah, and even that's that's and debatable. He and may if, yeah. have he may have wool, uh, like wolf whistled. Exactly. Um, and it's it's just interesting that no one like some of his relatives give a different story. Obviously, the woman and her family give a story. She's given several different stories before she died. So we'll go through it. It just seems like it's just a whole, you know, it's just an embarrassment of bad times for everybody. It just it's sort of like Chinese whispers. It started off with one thing and then escalated beyond everyone's control and a lot of people were sort of not victims of circumstances but these people were just acting the way they had been raised so it's you know sort of a sad indictment of how they were living as well really yeah I have a um a bit of a uh controversial opinion actually about what can contribute to uh, situations uh, like this where you have sort of um private summary uh, justice and um such a violent um committings of death because until i think until not even 20 years before this we still had in america public executions mm. and uh, which was uh, gradually dying off in um, most developed nations but i think um what we often see with uh, countries that commit overly harsh um uh, and uh, especially public displays of justice is that um it's almost a condoning to the general population what's okay. And if it's okay for a person to be publicly hanged, for example, as spectacle, mm-hmm. um, then they see it as their right to uh, themselves to do it. Yeah, we forget, like, how brutal history actually was. It was very I'm not def- common. I'm not yeah. defending um, mm-hmm. uh, any anyone, um, but it's uh, – but, yeah, like, when you um, – a government acts violently, it acts, adds a bit of an edge to the element. Yeah, definitely. So let's just go through a bit more of this case. Um, it's probably, you know, it's probably something that a lot, I don't think many Australian people would know this case at all. Obviously in the US, the especially certain different communities would be very well aware of it. So Till was, he was born and raised in Chicago, Illinois. He was actually on a summer vacation in 1955 and he was visiting, actually the name of the town that they were near was Money, Mississippi. How about that for a name? <laughs> Ironic, since a lot of the southern states were still recovering economically from the Civil War, even 100 years later. Yes. So he was out and about in the town where where that he was visiting family and he spoke. We put inverted commas around that because we really don't know what conversation he had. Apparently, he was alone in the shop with her just for a brief period of time to 21-year-old, and she's a kid herself, really, uh, Carolyn Bryant. She was a, she was white and she was married and she was a proprietor of a small grocery store that Emmett and some friends he was with uh, went into to buy some candy. Um so everything that happened in the store is a matter of dispute. Um, the people Emmett with, were with, all of them tell slightly different stories. This woman herself tells a different story. Her husband and his co-conspirator tell a different story. So we don't know. But obviously she's taken offence to something and it's escalated out of control. Um, so what they what historians say is that his interaction with her violated like this unspoken code that they had that you don't approach black 
men, you know, boys or men do not approach white women in such a way. And so basically after the incident, apparently her husband, she didn't say anything to him directly, but he found out about it uh, through a customer that had been near the store. So if they were near the store, they weren't in the store at the time. So that's going on just exactly how out of proportion this thing got blown. Um, and so, you know, how dare he interact with her like that? How dare he speak to her? He needs to get his comeuppance. So, and it wasn't even like the night of the incident. It was several nights later. And then Bryant's husband, a man called Roy, and his half-brother, a man called J.W. Milam, they decided to arm themselves up. They went to Till's great-uncle's house. That was the relative he was staying with. They abducted Emmett. They took him away, and over the course of several hours, he was beaten severely. He was actually mutilated as well. Then they shot him in the head, and they um, – what was it that they used to, to sink him to the bottom of the river? Was it a fender? It was, it was some sort of um, fan from a, a – A fan. Uh, from a – like a heavy fan uh, from an instrument used to do with, um, I think, cotton processing. Oh, right. Yes, that's right. I was thinking like a, a tail – like a fender from a car, but now you say fan, that, that rings a bell. Yeah. But it was the, um, the uh, a thing afterwards when they actually did an interview for a magazine about their crime where uh, never mind that they were – uh, committing a pretty severe assault on a child, mm. um, they were more concerned about being accused of stealing a disused fan blade to drown him. Yeah, it's amazing what they saw that their priorities were. So three days later, um, some people were out and about. They found him, like obviously his uncle and everything, the family he was staying with were going around looking for him and couldn't find him. And then some people just going down by the river, they found his mutilated body. Obviously, he was in terrible condition after being submerged in the water for three days as well. The... Um, the authorities, everyone wanted to hush it up. They wanted to just bury him there. But his amazingly strong mother persisted and had his body brought back to Chicago. She only died about 10 years ago, mm, I think. I know. Mm. She was actually quite long-lived. I think a lot of the other people in this case um, were quite long-lived, I think including Carolyn Bryant herself because she was still giving interviews in the early 2000s about what had happened. His mother insisted on having an open casket, which you can find the pictures online and they are horrible to see, just an FYI. If you don't have a good stomach or you you know, take those sort of images and internalise them, probably not a good idea to see them, but this poor young child just looked like some kind of space alien or something because of the condition that his body was in. They had a massive public funeral for him. Um, Mamie Till Bradley, um, she definitely wanted to let the world know what her son had been through, so that's why she wanted the casket open. She wanted the public especially the black public to, I mean, obviously the polite white folk would just turn their head away from it. Um, and but they this, came in droves to see the casket. Yeah, they did. So whether, you know, but the, the funeral was a massive thing. So tens of thousands and they viewed his open casket and the images of his mutilated body in the casket were published in many different um, newspapers, especially newspapers that circulated in the black community. Um, and, you know, obviously the family started calling for justice. So Mississippi did find the two men, um, and Bryant and Milam, and an all-white male jury uh, acquitted them of these murders. Now, they people on the jury at that time claimed, you know, some of them were like, well, hang on a minute, we don't feel the prosecution actually proved their case without a doubt. So, I mean, you know, it's that old O.J. Simpson thing. It's sort of like... There's Watts 
um, morally right and wrong and there's what you're being asked to do in the courtroom. So, I mean, I hadn't seen the evidence that they saw. So they sort of protected themselves that way. Anyway, the men got out. And then, as Matt had just said, in a 19... So that was September of 1955. In a 1956 interview with Look magazine, they actually detailed how they kidnapped him and tortured him and murdered him. But because of the double jeopardy clause, they can't be tried again for his murder. So they felt like they got paid $4,000, which would have been a huge amount at that time. Um, But it did backfire on them, Um, The civil rights movement started a new phase after that. We started seeing bus boycotts, Rosa Parks, Medgar Evers, Martin Luther King. This was the early days of the civil rights union where, you know, black commuters who were the predominant ones who had to ride buses were starting to stand up and say, you know what, we're not giving up our seats. We're not going to go sit at the back of the bus and we're not using the bus service until this changes. And obviously money talks. If a whole group of people suddenly aren't using your service you know, no matter how much they pay, it's still, so, yeah. so something, some, something, some good things started happening out of it. So, you know, after these bus boycotts, etc., there was a US Supreme Court ruling that segregated buses were un- unconstitutional. And then there were things like Brown versus the Board of Education regarding segregated schools. And so it's not that, Emmett certainly wasn't the first. He certainly wasn't the last. I mean, actually, the case that we spoke about not too long ago featured a Jewish man being lynched, um, the murder of Mary Fagan. So basically, if you were an outsider and you're from a different part of town, I think, you know, and you were ethnically different, even if you were white ethnically different, you still run the risk if you crossed these polite borders of society and stepped out of your place in the South, at least back then, and that case was in Georgia, uh, you did run the risk of um, having that sort of hanging justice. You know, who needs a trial, right? Yeah, well, the only the, the only justice uh, against the actual two perpetrators seems to have been that they were hard off the cash in the last parts of their life. That's uh, right. So not, not very good uh, justice for that moment, but so I guess sometimes you have to develop a... Uh, a, a broader scheme of things perspective to try and make some, um, uh, well, there is no justice sometimes. Sometimes it is just a case of you just have to be glad that it's uh, far less likely, although certainly not impossible for a similar thing to happen to another person. Yeah, definitely. And look, there are still terrible things. And it's not just in the US. I think any Western settled country where different groups of people have come in and we have it in our own country, there's still a lot of discourse about the Aboriginal stolen generations, how they're treated in society today. There just seems to be um, an inability to be able to just look at history the way that it was and move forward. And I understand that the various, you know, my dad's an immigrant, you know, he came from Africa and all the rest of it. I I can see both sides of the story. Um, Well, actually recently uh, the Emmett Till Anti-Lynching Act, it was, it's an American law that makes lynching a federal hate crime, although I thought any type of murder was, but it was actually signed into law just, just this year, March the 29th, 2022 by uh, the current US president. So even after all this time, um, Emmett is still affecting how things are. So look, the only good thing that happened 
um, I suppose, to these men who got off on this crime is at least they were brought up on charges. They were never going to be convicted just because of the the way society worked back then because their whole defence, and I think it, it seems like a lot of this stuff about how Emmett was speaking to Carolyn in the store was drummed up by the defence to make it seem plausible as to why they should go and kill this little kid. You know what I mean? Like he probably just looked at her and maybe gave her a wink and had a laugh and that was all it was. But the whole thing escalated. It seems like so, sort of a, it's something the defence made up that he, you know, said that he had a white girlfriend in Chicago and stuff just to make it him in the most poorest light that he could be Uh because how dare he not know his place? Matt, you were saying that while they had Emmett with them before he passed away, before they murdered him, um, they were sort of telling him to know his place in society, yeah. berating him. and Well, they basically tried to bully him into um, uh, saying, um, you still think um, you're, you're as good as us or, or the like. Yes, yeah. There was definitely, and even though society was changing at that time I mean I you know actually took my mum to see the Elvis movie at that time and Elvis was extremely you know Elvis actually spent part of his his childhood um while his dad was in prison I believe actually living in a mostly black area well part of Elvis's success was um owed to this uh unique crossroads of history he lived in because uh like um it's well known that a lot of um uh, sort of um, uh, black American uh, communities have made huge contributions to the el- evolution of music, and there was a obviously a high popularity of um, blues and jazz type sounds from mm-hmm. the particularly from the twenties onwards. But um, uh, sort of a stubborn racist being who they are, uh, quite often um, black records. If even if a person liked the music, they wouldn't uh, touch it if a, a black artist made it, mm-hmm. and so. Literally, uh, Elvis uh, filled this unique void of have sort of um, taking on a lot of the um, those uh, southern blues influences, and yeah. they um, uh, worked very well with um, with um, uh, sort of uh, northern northern audiences. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. So, you know, you look at like the impact it had. You know, this merging of culture had on Elvis and other people, and Elvis spent a lot of time you know, listening and associating with with black musicians and he really saw them as his brethren. He didn't find them any different. And, you know, their culture and their music is just has had such a profound effect on, you know, modern pop music and stuff today. I mean, you know, Elvis was the king of rock and roll, Michael Jackson, a black man, was the king of pop. So but getting back to Emmett's case, um, just going on about Bright and Milam, you know, how they thought they could then just you know, have this interview, get paid for it about, it's almost like OJ Simpson having an interview explaining how he committed a double murder um, and thinking that that would be fine. And apparently it's okay because they were veterans. They had uh, the right to, you know, uh, keep blacks in their place. Yeah. Uh, never, never mind that um, plenty of African-Americans uh, were fought in the same war with them. Yeah, exactly. But it did backfire on them because... Um, 
nobody wanted to have anything, especially once they admitted openly what they did, they thought they could just go back to society. And I mean, the area of the Delta of Mississippi where they lived was pretty rough and tumble anyway, but nobody wanted to have anything to do with them. And obviously working outdoors, being tradesmen, working on farms, trying to run businesses, none of the black community there wanted to work for them. So they had to pay white workers for more, which wasn't very beneficial to them or their business. No one would loan them money. So both of them ended up leaving the state and just had, you know, and quite rightly, and I'm happy to say they didn't really have very good lives after that. And they were still blaming Emmett for how hard their lives had gotten. So uh, I think Mm -hmm. they went over to Texas and other states and, you know, their infamy followed them everywhere. So if something good came out of it too, is that these men didn't live a peaceful life after that, nor should they have. Yeah. Well, the only thing, yeah, the only thing is uh, that we can take in some uh, joy is that what probably mattered to them most, their own pockets, uh, yeah. th- that it they suffered greatly uh, forever after. Yeah, and they, you know, they actually spent decades after, like in the early 2000s, they went back and because they, there was still no clarification if those two men had acted alone. There were ever there were witnesses that said there were other co-conspirators with them, maybe some of their, their, the people that they employed. They even said that there was one black person with them that was, you know, obviously worked for them, so had to come and help out with taking care of poor Emmett. Um, so Emmett's body was actually exhumed because there was some you know, conspiracies that that wasn't really um, Emmett Till. It was, it was confirmed and they were actually able to have a look at the, you know, the injuries that were inflicted of him, where he'd actually been shot, what sort of torture they had um, inflicted on him. So at least they were able to get that, you know, sorted out to the point where they were able to to nail down exactly how he had been murdered. So it's... um, there's also a claim that Carolyn Bryant, the woman in the store, had recanted her testimony and said that, you know, he didn't say the things that were alleged, he said. He didn't swear at her. He didn't ask her out on a date or anything. And I think she just ended up living a terrible life as well because she did go on to say nothing that boy did could ever justify what happened to him. So she's in a hard position because, you know, she might be white, but she's a woman as well. Yeah. So she was in a lowly position herself. And I'm just thinking, justifying what happened to him until I think, short of doing something like what Ted Bundy did, there's very few, few things you could do that justify that uh, that outcome. That's exactly right. So, look, this case is, you know, it's 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 one of the in the pantheon sort of of American civil rights cases. Um, you know, there they said there's anywhere from like three to five thousand lynchings that happened in the South. Um, over the course of this time frame, over the course of the Jim Crow era. And obviously there's probably many thousand more that were not reported or recorded. Um, But all I can say is that I think the best way that the the modern black community can honour this boy is living their best lives and not keep hearkening back to the time where he was alive because there aren't those barriers anymore. And while I understand there's some barriers of the mind and some people are always going to be ignorant and stuff, you're going to get that with any racial group, with anywhere you live, in any country, in any world. I'm on this side, you're on that side. But honour this boy, honour the people like him who were killed back then by living your best lives and making the best of the opportunities that the country can give you. And I think I'll just leave it at that, yeah. And this is an example of a certain dark element of human psychology that is tapped into 
uh, at a certain time, which uh, is not just applicable to hate crimes such as this, but uh, even in Australia, well, we can refer to plenty of uh, crimes that happen against uh, Aboriginal populations, mm -hmm. but even more recently uh, with um, another group, um, for example, um, uh, people of same-sex orientation. Mm -hmm. It's become uh, uh, more well-known recently in Australia, and I'd like to do an episode on this at some point. Yeah. But, um, uh, for example, in Sydney, there was a certain uh, public parkland that was a sort of a open secret um, place for where um, single gay men would uh, meet up mm -hmm. to, um, you, you know, have a quick date. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, like certainly, if it were less police now, it could uh, probably still happen. But uh, particularly in the eighties, when sort of urban uh, hate crime and homophobia was uh, at one of its peaks, um, a number of men were literally hunted um, out when um, going into those parklands and yeah. uh, were given summary murder. And although the uh, you may give whatever kind of uh, political hate philosophy afterwards if you're caught it's uh, tapping into that same psychology a fear of the otherness and you um, right. uh, when you, you feel that it allows you to sort of um dispose of life for sport that's right and um yeah i just um as time goes forward i, I just want to see because i see s some areas of different sort of communities that have been affected by hate crimes they use it as an excuse to never ever go forward and they get angry when other people in their community whether it's the gay community whether it's different sort of racial communities whether it be asian or black or first nations or whatever they use it as an excuse never to try to go forward and make things better and I'm not saying everybody in the community does that, but certain people with political uh, machinations, they use that as a cudgel to keep that community down to control them. And I just don't like seeing that. I don't like people invoking the name of poor people that have suffered many decades ago to justify poor behaviour now. And what we should be encouraging is to, to remember those people for the horror that they went through, the sacrifice, their family... Um, of what they went through and use that as the impetus to keep creating positive change, not just keep hearkening back to the deck stacked against us and separating people out. I think when everybody sees that they're part of the bigger community and the bigger society, that's when a lot of these problems will start really fading into the background. But keeping people separated, it's that old Jim Jones thing. Yeah. You know what happened at Jonestown, so... Yes, uh, well, um, you can refer to one of our previous episodes, I think episode three, uh, for information in that section. Uh, that's right. <laughs> but yeah, definitely um, uh, finding a common kinship is a good way to break down hatred. Like, uh, uh, for example, like uh, an often uh, little-known fact is um, the cross-influence of um, ancient Greek culture, although it traditionally has been used as a uh, propaganda tool to propagate the idea of um, Western European civilization. There's actually quite a good cross-correlation with... Uh, how Muslim cultures um, mm -hmm. developed, and so in a time when they've often been demonised because of um, events of the last 20 years, um, that can be a good cross-reference to be looked at. Definitely. So, um, well, thank you for that insight. Matt, Matt's a historian, in case you <laughs> in case you didn't know. Um, well, your major was art history, wasn't it? Or And archaeology, and yes. Archae oh, yes. So, um, whereas I'm just a boring old communications major. So, but thank you for joining us. But you communicate that so well. Oh, thank you very much. 
Um, so we just wanted to say, you know, rest Emmett Till's soul, rest his mother's soul. Um, hopefully he's in peace wherever he is and he deserves to be remembered. He certainly, there was nothing he could have done in that shop for those few minutes that would have justified anything that anyone did to him. And I really, I'm glad the people who were dishonest about it and covered it up and covered up what really happened. I mean, this boy should have just been sent back to Chicago and that's all that should have happened to him. So rest him at Well, he shouldn't have had to uh, even do that. But yeah. Yeah, that should have been the worst thing that happened to him. So thank you for joining us today on A Glimpse of Hell and we will see you on the next episode. Thank you.